So back in the back in the fall, I went upstate uh, for a couple of days with a priest friend of mine. Uh, we went up in Cooperstown. We went to the uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's a great little town. Even if you're not a a baseball person, it's just still kind of worth visiting. I think it's just a real quaint little town. It was, uh, I guess, the middle of October, so the colors were kind of at their peak. Anyway, uh, the day we went to the Hall of Fame, later that day, we went over to this place called the uh, Farmer's Museum. It's a little outside of the village, but still part of Cooperstown. And it's a pretty cool place. It's, uh, it's one of these, it's like a, it's like a recreation of uh, farm life in the 19th century. So it's a farm, a working farm, tons of animals, um, and all these like historic buildings, some of which were, I think, originally there, others which they brought from other areas of state. So they create like this little village, what it was like, farmhouses and it's a general store. There was a blacksmith, blacksmith shop, church, a tavern. It was totally like, remember Little House on the Prairie? I mean, it, was, it looked like Walnut Grove. It was exactly that, that kind of a look. Um, and the staff, the people who worked there, they were all in costume of that time. So, uh, and very much knew about that life. So, for instance, like we went into a blacksmith shop, and there's a guy dressed there like a blacksmith making the horseshoes, and he gave us a little bit of a, you know, little lecture about what that was like. They just tell you what life was like in 1840. Interesting, there's a part of me um, that thinks it would be so, so cool, so great to live there then aspects of that life, kind of like the simplicity of it, the sense of community that you just have, you know, less of in a modern time and in a more modern place. Elements of it are just, to me, very kind of attractive. Um, we went into this farmhouse where there was a, a woman, an employee, dressed in costume, and she started to describe life in the 19th century. Um, she really knew her stuff, he could tell. But what she said was kind of sobering, to be honest. It was very, she described a very difficult kind of existence. Kind of uncomfortable and painful. She talked about infant mortality, how it was almost the norm that you would you'd lose a child, you know, a young child to some kind of disease. She talked about the, the darkness, you know, obviously a lack of electricity, and they just had such, you know, limited ways of lighting up rooms. So it was frequently dark and very cold. It was getting a little chilly that day, and I was thinking, man, this is October. Like, can you imagine what last week would have been like back there then? You know, Little House on the Prairie was a TV show. <laughs> Walnut Grove was kind of fake. It was a TV set. 
looked like, this place looked like it, but it really wasn't like it after hearing what this woman said. You know, I think, at least I do this, maybe you do too, I think sometimes we can romanticize or idealize or even like mythologize the past. We just kind of always think yesterday was better than today. Then was better than now. And I think, you know, sometimes you, you could certainly make that argument. Aspects of yesterday, without question, were better than elements of today. But not always. Not, clearly not always. Not in all aspects. It seems to me the challenge is to be able to see the good in today. Certainly the good in yesterday, when and where it was, but also be able to say, hey, what's, what's true about right now? There was a movie, um, I guess about a dozen years ago. It was a Woody Allen movie that I saw. I'm not even a, a Woody Allen fan particularly, but I was with somebody who uh, wanted to see it. It was kind of an interesting movie. It was, uh, it was called Midnight in Paris. And uh, it was weird. It was kind of like a fantasy comedy story. This, the main character is this guy. His name is Gil. He's a Hollywood screenwriter. And he's actually pretty successful, but not very happy. Um, the screenplays he writes, he makes a lot of money writing them, but they're not very good. They're very predictable, but they sell. And he knows it. He knows they're not that good. His real dream is to be a novelist, to like write a legitimate novel. And he loves all the great authors who went before him, particularly uh, artists who, who lived in France, Paris, like in the 1920s. So this movie, he's in Paris, and he's just sort of loving the artistic history of that city. He's also depressed, because he's just realizing his life doesn't even remotely reflect that time, and he wished it did. So he was out one night, and he's kind of depressed. He gets lost, and uh, he's trying to figure out how to get home, and this car pulls up. This is when the, the fantasy dimension kicks in. It's this big old car from the 1920s, and it's filled with a bunch of people, and they're partying, and they invite him in. And he, he gets in this car, and they go to a party. And he realizes he's been transported back to Paris in the 1920s. And the people he's with are these famous artists. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who's one of his hero writers, he's there, he's talking to him. Cole Porter is sitting at the piano, playing songs at this party. He's just loving it. This continues each night at midnight. He's transported back to another group of people, all artists. He's in his glory. He's loving it. He's with his heroes. Ernest Hemingway shows up, Pablo Picasso, a bunch of other artists. I didn't even know who they were, but this guy, this character certainly knew who they were. 
Each night they welcome him kind of into their world. But they don't understand why he's so excited. He's so enthusiastic. He's so in awe of these artists. And they're like, what? Like, what's the... They don't get it. They don't understand why he's so excited to be around them. Because these famous people don't realize that they themselves are famous. Or at least as good, or at least the legends that they became. And he keeps talking art with these people. Each, each night, he engages another couple of them, and, and just he wants to talk art, writing. And they want to, but they don't want to talk about themselves. What they keep doing is going back to their heroes from 50 years before, or a century or two before. They get very excited about them, those who went before them, but they don't want to talk about themselves. It's like, and here's the point, I think, of the movie. Nobody, nobody's able to see the truth and the beauty in their moment, in their lives, in their time. Everything's retro. Everything's yesterday. Everything's historical. It doesn't mean those yesterday realities were untrue. Of course they were. Classical art from different times, no doubt. But none of them can see what's going on right now. The truth of the moment. Anyway, this character, Gil, realizes that at a certain point. It's like he knows that, hey, the love of the, love of the past should improve. He realizes this. Like, the past is important, and it is true. And it should improve and inspire the present. But it shouldn't replace the present. Don't sub out the present for the past. Take the best of yesterday and complement it with today. But you got to find truth in today, in our moment, in our lives. Certainly if you're talking art, but I'd say more importantly, just the lives we live, the experiences we're, we're, that are playing out in our lives, being able to say, hey, there's truth in this moment. This is great. Anyway, that's what this guy, he kind of makes a resolution appropriate for New Year's. He kind of resolves this guy, Gil, to make his time and his place sort of a, a golden age, whatever that means. Don't live in the past. Don't deny the past. In fact, take what was true from the past and bring it to the present. But God continues to show up here and now. Christmas isn't just a, an historical event. It is, but it's not just something from 2,000 years ago. What we believe is that Christmases kind of continue. As dramatic and as, and as important as what we celebrated last week, no. But God keeps showing up, and our job is to recognize the showing up. To recognize when, yeah, like God's grace, like something great is happening right now. Something true and beautiful and important. And I got to stay focused on today. Don't forget yesterday, but don't live in yesterday. You know, last week, 
I guess it was the, uh, on Christmas morning, the, the readings changed. They have the midnight mass readings. and It's a whole couple of bunch of options. I think the morning reading gospel was from uh, John's gospel. And it says this, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've heard that. That's a famous one. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. There's another translation. Similar, but a little different, a little more earthy. And it says this, God became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Like he set up camp next to us. I think I like that one better because that's something I can kind of relate to more. Man, like God is, he's near, he's close, he's here. God is now. He's then, but he's also now. You know, I was, uh, a couple of years ago, I was working on a, helping out on a retreat. I was actually, was out at the seminary in Huntington, and uh, they needed help with confessions. It was a men's retreat. So I went and heard confessions, but before it, a guy was giving a little talk, prepping the people to go to confession. He was a retired city cop. And he talked about growing up and his family. And it was kind of painful to hear. It was a very messed up family. Very dysfunctional, abusive, alcoholic father. Also an absent father. So it was like, nothing, almost nothing about this guy worked. He was never really around, but when he was around, he was a nightmare. The mom was just kind of overwhelmed by this, kind of enabled it put up with too much, but he was abusive toward her. Anyway, he described one night, the worst of, the, of many, many bad nights. He came home drunk and things got very, very ugly, violent, cops were called. And this guy just described like a hellish scene. He was the oldest of, I don't know, four or five kids and they were screaming, it was just, it was chaos. And his cop came in, and he calmed the place down, and he kind of restored peace. And then he took this guy, who was like a teenager and the oldest, and he brought him outside. He said, come here, and they sat on the front stoop for about 10 minutes. And the cop just talked to him and encouraged him and affirmed him told him he was a good big brother and he was a good son. And the cop didn't even really know him, but the cop just knew this kid needed some encouragement and he got it. And this 15-year-old said he never forgot it. And he said he knew that day he'd become a cop one day because he wanted to bring that kind of peace to some other crazy situation. It's like in this objectively terrible night this awful moment God's grace appears God shows up through the kindness and the thoughtfulness of this police officer they're like little Christmases that keep happening it's not or it shouldn't be once a year we need to be on the lookout for God's grace the more we are, 
the more this makes sense. The more we are, the more real God becomes to us. You know, that farm upstate New York, 1840s, and the, the beauty of it and the simplicity of it, absolutely. And if that's what you love, pursue it. Or the, the artistic greatness of Paris in the 1920s, for sure. Appreciate it. There is truth in yesterday and in the past, and it ought to be honored and respected and protected. But he's, he, God is to be found here too, today, in our lives. So maybe on this first day of a new year, there's maybe not a bad resolution. I want to be more on the lookout for God's grace. God was part of yesterday. God is part of today. So resolve to discover both.